Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hey there, thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter and the founder of aggrad.com that connects students and young professionals to hiring agribusinesses. We have an episode here today that probably could be 10 different episodes, uh, several topics related to ag technology and the future of agriculture, all wrapped up into one interview. And here's why. I I had the opportunity, and this is new for me, not being a journalist, being a recruiter, uh, but to be invited to the media aspect of Monsanto's 2017 announcements of their project initiatives, uh, especially related to research and development. You may or may not know this, but Monsanto uh, dedicates about $1.5 billion a year to research and development, to coming up with what are going to be the product solutions in the future of agriculture that we'll need. Well, as if that wasn't difficult enough to solve today's problems, Monsanto has to focus on solving problems that are 12 years away. As Dr. Half is going to mention in this interview, many of the projects from inception to actually a product on the shelf take 12 years in the cycle. So they're not only thinking about what problems are farmers facing today that we can help them solve, but they're thinking more about what are the problems in 12 years that farmers are going to have that we can help solve. So it's really a fascinating perspective. And I got to hear from the CTO of Monsanto, Dr. Rob Fraley, on the call this morning and then uh, get to talk to Dr. Half this afternoon to, to discuss in more detail some of these initiatives. And as you'd expect, some of them do deal with biotechnology, with seed, with crop protection. But also what I found fascinating is a lot of emphasis on a couple of new sort of pillars in the Monsanto uh, business model, which are biologicals, so approaching crop problems from a biological perspective using biological solutions, and then also uh, data science or digital ag. Uh, you may or may not know this, but Monsanto owns a company called the Climate Corporation, which that's what they're experts in is collecting and analyzing and helping farmers use this data to, to make better farm decisions uh, so that they can uh, lower their expenses, maximize their potential revenues, and obviously maximize profit. So we get into a little bit of all of, of these things all mixed into one, and I'm really, really glad I got to talk to Dr. Hauf about this because you'll hear from her story. It's, it's super fascinating. She came out of graduate school with a background in plant breeding and uh, in weed science. And so you'd think, okay, that sounds like a real specialized field, right? Weed science and plant breeding. But she's ended up having a really storied career within Monsanto and getting a chance to do everything from uh, pricing to sales to product strategy uh, and now leading her, her, her own group within the company there. So I really enjoyed talking to her just from a human interest perspective. But then on top of that, we get into some of these initiatives uh, that Monsanto announced here. This is January 2017. So if you care about the future of agriculture. I 100% agree with what Dr. House says in this interview when she says that there's room for all types of food on the dinner plate, meaning whether or not you believe in GMO, non-GMO, organic, uh, non-organic, uh, or I guess conventional would be the right term for that, no matter what you believe, it's important to not get so dogmatic about that that you don't allow 
for an open mind, allow for all types of food at the table. As Dr. Half will say, there's a lot of hungry people to feed, and it's going to take technology from all angles and all perspectives uh, and new ideas in order to, to feed those people, not only now, but as we said, 12 years from now, which is how they're thinking with, with a lot of their projects they have going on. So I've greatly enjoyed this conversation, and I know you will too if you care about the future of our industry. Um, and without further ado, I will turn it over to my interview with Dr. Shannon Hauf of Monsanto. Dr. Shannon Hauf of Monsanto, thank you so much for being on the Future of Agriculture podcast today. Uh, you're welcome, Tim. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me this afternoon. An exciting day for Monsanto. Uh, before we get into the, the news that was uh, revealed to the rest of us this morning, could you please just Tell us a little bit about your responsibilities with the company. Yep. So uh, my current uh, title and responsibilities here at Monsanto is the Global Technology Lead. Uh, I have crops that include cotton, uh, wheat, canola, and then an area of specialty crops, which is uh, sorghum, uh, sugar beet, and alfalfa. And what does that look like day to day for you? Uh, what takes up most of your time? So within uh, my team's responsibility, we are charged with kind of really leading the portfolio strategy. So when we think about the portfolio strategy, it's from anything from inventing the technology or the product uh, and seeing that all the way through product launch. So first it begins with working with our regions uh, all around the world to understand what our farmer customers' needs are. So certainly some of the needs are the same. Uh, they need to, regardless if they're in Africa uh, or the United States, they need to control weeds uh, and bugs. Uh, but some differences uh, between farmers, certainly, whether they're uh, in Texas uh, or India uh, or South America. And so there are similarities and differences that we need to understand. We then focus on you know, identifying what those product concepts are. Uh, and then we work with our teams to ensure that we have a successful development of that product. And if you're thinking of a biotech product, it could take as much as 10 to 12 years to develop uh, before we actually launch those products. And then lastly, we're really looking at what are some of the new opportunities and the new areas. Uh, and certainly, I think today with our announcements around some of our new products, um, some of those new opportunities include looking at biologicals or perhaps digital egg or data science. And so those are the things that my team and I focus on uh, each day here at Monsanto. So the way that the company is structured then, you're not, uh, it's structured kind of by commodity group. It's not necessarily you're on the data science side and you're on the biological side? There's a, a couple different uh, structures. So my team is uh, structured uh, accord, uh, by crop. And then within my team, uh, we actually do have people that are singularly focused on a platform uh, that you just mentioned. So I have individuals that would be focused on data science, then individuals focused on insects, uh, individuals focused on weeds and disease. So those individuals tend to have an expertise in that area, and then they can really, you know, have a breadth of experiences that enable them to work with individuals all the way back deep into the science uh, to individuals who are really charged with uh, leading the commercial launch. So a, a really uh, a breadth of experience, uh, but certainly uh, experts as well. And in your per, your current position, I imagine you need a, a very wide breadth of experience. But when you came to Monsanto and when you kind of came up through the ranks, what was your specialization or what was your focus? Yeah, so I joined Monsanto right out of graduate school. Uh, 
my master's of, of science was in plant breeding and my uh, PhD was in weed science. So it's a little bit uh, diverse background uh, already starting with graduate school, but uh, joined Monsanto right out of graduate school in a program at that time that was really focused on training to understand the company, how we worked, how we made decisions. Uh, certainly, I think the technical background, um, most graduate students get a pretty good understanding of that to through the work that they do within graduate school. But it's you know, different moving from graduate school into a large company like Monsanto and really understanding how the company works, uh, understanding how decisions get made. And so it was quite helpful having that program and, and really understanding. From there, my career took off. I've had nine roles uh, in what's coming up on uh, 14 years of being at Monsanto. Started first in our field sales organization and did uh, three different roles within that organization in, uh, from 2003 to 2008. In two August of uh, 2008, I moved to St. Louis to lead our chemistry um, technology team, which is really focused in kind of a handful of different areas. Um, one would be our chemistries, such as Roundup, um, and the new chemistry that's going to get launched this year, which was Dicamba at that time. Uh, the new formulations that will be launched this year, Extend to Max and Roundup Extend. I also had an area of focus in seed treatments. And the biggest area that we were focused in that time in 2008 was reed resistance. And so that was kind of uh, my move from uh, being in Iowa. I moved to St. Louis. And then the middle part of my stretch here for 14 years was really focused in product management. So I moved from a very technical role into a role where I was, you know, focused on pricing and product strategy for a U.S. cotton business at that time. So a really big shift. Uh, I grew up on a farm in southern Minnesota, and, in, you know, it was just a short period later where I was now charged with um, having the opportunity to be our business strategy lead for our cotton business. And so I think, you know, as you move from graduate school, and I really thought I was going to be working with farmers my entire life um, in Iowa, and I think, you know, getting in a company like Monsanto, it proves that you can really do anything. And that was my first example of really being able to do anything um, working in cotton. And so moved into cotton and have been in a number of different roles since. But obviously, I'm currently in cotton today. Uh, I'm quite excited about it. Yeah. Did, did you kind of feel like a fish out of water there? If you're, you're getting you're from a hard science background, uh, upper Midwest, and you get thrown into really uh, a very business economics type focus with a, a southern U.S. crop. Yes. Um, you know, I had the opportunity because I was focused in uh, weed resistance. And back in 2008, uh, for those, it seems so long ago, but uh, it was an interesting period of time for Monsanto and, and really for our industry. It was the emergence of glyphosate-resistant Palmer pigweed. And certainly we had a number of challenges, and our farmer customers really were challenged with how do they solve the problem. And so for me, having a weed science background, um, you know, that piece was very easy to translate because weeds, no matter where they are, whether it's Fargo, North Dakota or, or Perry, Georgia, um, you know, the ability to control weeds is really important. And so I, I found my way of being able to emerge into that uh, very different environment. Um, but I won't forget my first uh, trip to Georgia when I uh, walked into a field and the, the farmer said to me, uh, word for word, he goes, sweetheart, you're not from here, are you? And, uh, <laughs> they say that in Texas laughed. as well. <laughs> yes, I know. And uh, and I've come to really love working in the in the 
in the South, uh, whether it's, yeah, Georgia uh, or Texas cotton farmers. And immediately, uh, no, I said I wasn't from there, but I did grow up on a farm and uh, certainly had an appreciation of the challenges that they were faced with. And um, that was 2008, and here we are in 2017. And uh, what almost uh, nine years later, I'm still having the opportunity to uh, work with them, and they invite me back. So I think it's worked out well. Yeah, you start talking about glyphosate-resistant pigweed, and they, they quickly be quiet and let you let you do your thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we tried. Well, why don't we get into the announcements this morning? Um, maybe start by telling us what led to the point of, of making these announcements this morning a bit and, the, and then what the announcements were. Yeah, so uh, each year, the, the first week of January, we take the opportunity to really look back over the course of the last 12 months and evaluate our technology pipeline and the progress that each of those projects make. And so there's, you know, well north of 100 individual projects that, you know, our teams are working on each year uh, to advance through the pipeline. And as I had mentioned earlier, some of those projects, like a biotechnology trait, uh, can take as many as 10 to 12 years from the time that we first discovered or invented them to the time we're actually going to sell them uh, to a farmer. So this is the time of the year, uh, and today is actually the date where we were uh, able to announce uh, how many of those projects have really advanced through the pipeline. And so excitingly, um, you know, we had uh, 28 different advancements this year, uh, which certainly sets a record. Uh, It's, you know, across all of our platforms. So this is the sixth year running where we've advanced projects across all of our platforms. And for those not familiar with our research and development platforms at Monsanto, we have five platforms. Um, you know, the three, I think, are those that you associate with Monsanto, which is breeding uh, or seeds. Certainly biotech traits is a second. The third would be crop protection. And then the two that were newest to Monsanto within the last three years, is, uh, which is biologicals, and then the last one is digital egg uh, or the climate uh, platform. And so certainly that's exciting to have advancements in all of those areas. Um, you know, we've had a small role in biologics and uh, digital egg over previous years, but I think, you know, aggressively here in the last two years, we've really turned that up a notch, and you'll see that with a number of projects that we have currently in the pipeline. And with your structure that we talked about earlier, I imagine all of those that you just mentioned, you get to work, you know, somehow touch all of them, right? Yep. So we've got, uh, you know, the fortunate part of uh, my team is they get to help manage, uh, you know, the more than 100 projects, individual projects that we're working on. And certainly some of them, many of the team members participated in uh, those 28 advancements uh, this year. And so each of them are certainly, it's exciting for the our, our teams here at Monsanto, but I think most importantly, it's exciting for the farmers who are going to have the opportunity uh, to see these new technologies Uh, on their farm. What struck me as I was reading through the announcement, when you think about it, a a lot of people when they hear Monsanto think uh, GMOs and Roundup, but a lot of the announcement had to do with biologicals and and digital ag, as you said, um, you know, data science and that sort of thing. So does that, do you see those two factors becoming a larger and larger part of Monsanto's core business going forward? Yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly the the three that we, we are commonly uh, associated with, um, you know, biotech and, and Roundup will, will always be important. Um, but the growth of the new technology 
technologies and really the growth in the area that the farmer customers are looking for and some new opportunities is in the area of biologicals. But then even separate from that is what we can do with data science. Um, you know, farmers each year are collecting millions of data points, everything from the time they plant um, through harvest, um, you know, fungicide applications, herbicide applications, uh, fertilizer applications. There's just many, many types of data that they're collecting. And the ability to pull all of that information together to make better decisions uh, really will translate to a benefit for our farmer customers. And w- when you say pull it all together, do you mean pull all the data from one farmer and give it back to that farmer in a usable form? Or do you mean pull it from multiple farmers and so that everybody can benefit from it? Yeah, so the, really the the way that we're looking at this now, I think you know the option uh, for either of those exists. So it's how do you give um, really a farmer today, which is how we're set up as a farmer today, we'll be able to pull all of their data together to help them make a better decision. In addition to that, you know, Monsanto, through all of our research trials that we conduct through hundreds of locations across the U.S., you know, being able to supply our customers with just better insights that we're able to, to capture. Uh, but currently today, it's set up in really help, helping a farmer focus on the farms that they have individually. Very interesting. For those of us that are listening that don't know what we mean when we say biologicals, can you give us just the kind of Cliff Notes version of of what that refers to? Biologicals were really uh, focused on, I think, a a simple way of thinking of it is it's probiotics um, for uh, for a seed. Uh, And if you think about biologicals as microbes um, that we harvest from, from the soil, and I think, uh, if I remember correctly, the scientists the other day told me that there's 5 million individual microbes in a, a teaspoon of soil. So it's understanding of those, which one is the one that matters most, uh, putting them, uh, surrounding them in the seed, uh, because we think that a, a seed treatment application of putting this probiotic right next to the seed uh, will really be able to help um, the plant. And there's really two ways uh, or two areas that we're looking at. And so if, if you think about probiotics, uh, one is, you know, from a, like a crop protection standpoint, so it perha- uh, helps it with perhaps maybe a disease. Uh, the second area that we're looking at is um, from a nutrient standpoint. So perhaps it helps it with nutrient uptake. And so those are the two areas that we're focused on um, for biologics. So it's a microbe that acts really as a probiotic. It really helps the seed in one of two areas, uh, either a crop protection, which would be kind of like disease, or a co- um, crop enhancement, which would be like nutrient uptake. I hope that was simplified enough. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it, it's just, it's uh, it's really fascinating stuff. So because it's biological and because it, it eliminates the need for, for other um, sort of chemicals to be applied to that crop, is that right? In some instances, it may eliminate the need. In others, it may act as a, um, you know, it may act uh, together to make it even better. Um, so I think it, it depends on the the area or the need, uh, but certainly it could be an elimination of a, of a crop protection chemical. Great. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to my earlier interview with uh, Dr. Doug Sammons where he just blew my mind with some of this stuff. And so uh, really, in, I really enjoy it. I just eat it up. And that's, that's really what this podcast is all about is these 
these new ideas that I really think are going to shape the future of the industry. Getting back to what you mentioned earlier about somewhere around 100 individual projects going on, can you talk a bit more, and I know you alluded to it earlier, but the very first stages of those becoming projects. Who, who, who talks to who? Who comes up with the idea? And how does it kind of become a project? Yeah, so I th- there's a couple areas uh, of how projects um, really become projects. So we have a, a team that's focused in discovery. And those are individuals um, that are really looking at what's, what's the next big thing. Uh, but most importantly, it comes from the conversations that we're having with our farmers all around the world. And interestingly, if a project was invented today, it'll likely be sold in around 2028 if it's a biotech project. And so it's the ability for our teams to have the foresight of understanding what are our customer needs in thir- you know, 12 years from today. Because most of our farmers aren't thinking about 12 years from today. Wow. Most of our farmers are thinking about what am I going to do in the next planting season. Uh, and, and so it's our teams working with farmers to understand their needs, but also really imagining or reimagining what is possible uh, 12 years and what are the needs 12 years from today. And so it stretches back to our discovery group, um, you know, who are really focused on innovation, and then also having that connection with the farmer to understand really what their needs are. I know you work with specialty crops, so as part of that group's uh, job to try to figure out, you know, what's the next kale? What's what's the next product that's going to be, you know, huge among consumers? Yes, yeah, so, we, you know, Monsanto does have a, a, a large uh, vegetable organization, and, you know, certainly it's a, we are in the vegetable space, um, you know, very um a very big presence in, you know, if you think about a number of the, the products that you buy when you go to um, the grocery store, lettuce, peppers, tomatoes, those are an area that we participate in as well. Obviously, um, in those areas, uh, we aren't introducing any biotechnology largely, uh, but really the benefit there is taking all of the technology that we can use just in seeds. So if you think about the impact of molecular markers and identifying you know, traits that are already in, for example, tomatoes, and identifying them and being able to um, stack them so that when you go to the grocery store, you're buying a tomato that's you know, not a GMO but has all the disease tolerances and benefits um, that bring you a, a very healthy and good tasting tomato. And so, you know, it's being able to have the same technologies we use in our crops like uh, corn and soy and cotton uh, and applying them uh, to the food crops as well. And this is a bit of an aside, but it relates to what you just said. How can those of us who are, you know, young professionals in the agriculture industry have the conversation with the consumer that has been fed incorrect information about about biotechnology, for example, its use in, in vegetables? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you know, if I think about, um, you know, the integrity of a message or the validity of a message, you know, I think certainly the, the individuals that are currently uh, and our, whether it's, you know, they're getting their bachelor's degree or their advanced degree, a master's or a PhD, um, you know, they're going to be charged as equally as much as we have been with um, establishing really what science is. And it's tough because the consumer is a long way from science um, or, and has a very 
rudimentary understanding of what science really is. Uh, and so a lot of the, the conversation for me is really around something that's very basic uh, and trying to help a, a consumer under understand really it's about product safety. Um, I think it's really helping them understand what farmers really are. I think everybody has this vision of somebody in overalls with a pitchfork and I think our farmer customers are a long way from that. In fact, our farmer customers are, in my opinion, uh, they care much, care as much about the food that they're raising on the farm as anybody in our industry, uh, whether it's you know somebody in the food industry or our farmers, they care uh, about both the environment and then the food they raise. And so it's really helping them understand that it's about safety, whether it's a GMO or non-GMO. Uh, crop and and to be perfectly honest, I think there's room for all types of food at the table, whether it's uh, organic or um, biotech uh, driven. There's a lot of hungry people in the world, and it's going to take all means to to bring the food to the table. Absolutely, yeah, and that that speaks right to the heart of this podcast. We we bring on people involved in agriculture from from all all different types. You know, our, um, one of our recent episodes had to do with vertical farming in indoor environments. And another one, we had a farmer in Western Kansas that farms 30,000 acres. So we definitely agree with that sort of portfolio approach. How can we bring all methods together to deliver the basic needs that people on the planet need? You know, one thing I was just really intrigued by, and I know this this isn't necessarily in your group, but uh, if you could just speak to it a little bit. The, there was a part of the announcement this morning about honeybees and about how Monsanto is actually looking at the problem of, of the um, I think it's called the colony death um, epidemic going on with honeybees. How does that fit into sort of Monsanto's overall strategy? Yeah, so the, the, the piece that we announced this morning is, um, you know, we've been actively, and this has been over a period of, of uh, it's, you know, just not this year that we've been working on this project. It's been going on for many years. But it's a technology called BioDirect, and it's really looking at, yeah, the colony collapse disorder uh, with bee health. And what we're looking at there is it's really a new approach around how do we take a new biological approach so it's not a, a, a synthetic chemistry, um, but really focused on how do we mitigate um, the, the, the current challenges that the honeybees have and with this colony collapse disorder all over. And certainly there's obviously been a lot of conversation around um, the, the decline of the honeybee populations. And, and so I think, you know, from our point of view at Monsanto, it's, you know, how do we be able to participate in all markets with the technologies we have? And we feel that this is a technology that while applicable in our core crops, like corn, soy, and cotton, it's also a technology that could be applicable in an area that's, um, a, you know, outside of our core space. And so we continue to advance that project. Can you explain to us a little bit about the BioAg alliance between Monsanto and uh, Novozymes? What's the contribution on both sides of that partnership? So um, certainly it's a collaboration uh, of two companies, uh, Novozymes, which is a company that uh, historically had been involved um, in the development uh, of biologics. And then, of course, uh, us here at Monsanto. And really the idea or the concept is to take the strengths of two companies, uh, put them together uh, with the idea that we'll be able to bring uh, better products to our customers in the future. And the way it's set up today is each company has a discovery engine um, that is looking at new 
biological uh, opportunities or new microbes um, that perhaps will bring uh, a benefit, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, whether it's around a crop protection or a crop enhancement. And then really using the strength of Monsanto's field testing environment. So if you think about our field testing uh, globally, um, you know, hundreds and thousands of locations, and then the ability to use data science as well to help us understand which products are performing and why they're performing the way that they are. And so again, it's taking the strength of a company that's historically been in biologics with the strength of Monsanto's field testing organization uh, to bring uh, new products to the marketplace in the future. I, I keep saying biologicals. Is the right term biologics or are they just used interchangeably? I think they're used interchangeably. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried I was using the wrong term the whole time. Back on the, the data science part a little bit more, uh, for those not familiar, Monsanto purchased Climate Corp. And, and can you talk a little bit about what is Climate Corp? And was that Monsanto's first sort of entry into the data science part of the industry? Yeah, so Climate uh, Corporation is really an area that was is focused in, um, you know, it's become a much broader platform, uh, but our platform that's really bringing digital ag or data science uh, to our farmer customers and also obviously helping us make better decisions as well. Um, before, you know, we were involved or before the acquisition of Climate Corporation, Monsanto was involved in um you know, looking at digital egg platforms, we were involved in prescriptions um, at that time as well. And so it was, I would say Climate Corporation was our first big move into the digital egg space. Uh, but we were involved in, you know, had a number of projects that we're looking at. For example, how do you make a prescription for a hybrid around, nut- uh, around nitrogen uh, rates, around um, plant populations, as an example. So we were involved at a um, prior, but but obviously the, the purchase of Climate Corporation changed that a lot. It really gave us access to um, looking at all aspects of, of the decisions around how we can make uh, help farmers make better decisions. So you know, incorporating a new level of you know weather, um, not just the the nutrients and, and, and really a different way of looking at it uh, as well. So I think it was, uh, while we were involved before and have been for a long time, this is really a, a, a big step for us and a new opportunity for our customers as well. For your group within Monsanto, I know y- you are uh, the global technology lead. Do you have certain areas of the world that Monsanto is not in yet that really kind of strategically would like to be in? You know, we look at, and so that's a big piece of what my team's looking at is, you know, are there new areas, um, you know, that we're, we're currently not in that, you know, might be interesting to, to be in. And I think one example when I think about that, so obviously we're in the Americas, um, and we have businesses all over the world, so I would say, is there an area we're not in? Um, but the, there's areas where I think we would, we're looking at how do we, have a bigger presence or how do we help have a have a bigger opportunity to help and for me specifically one of those areas as I think about would be Africa uh, you know so very smallholder farmers um, you know really uh, if I think about the tech you know they don't have access to, to you know even some areas don't have access to high-yielding seeds um, you know, they, this isn't even talking about biotechnology. This is just how could Monsanto help with 
uh, some of the products that we have around seeds. Um, you know, what could we help these farmers do around data science? Because the interesting thing around um, these parts of the world is everybody has a phone. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, if you think about it, it seems odd. Um, they don't, you know, everything's done by hand and they only maybe have two or three acres, but they all have a mobile phone. And so one of the initiatives that we have started in some of these countries is providing agronomic advice to these farmers through a mobile phone. And it makes a big difference because what seems very simple in terms of agronomic advice to a farmer here in the U.S. um, actually has a huge impact to a farmer in Africa. And so I think those are some of the opportunities, you know, as I think specifically about the crops that I'm involved with, um, where I see that we could have a big impact and we're working towards that. That's fantastic. I got to see that firsthand. I spent a month in Liberia uh, before the Ebola outbreak uh, interviewing. We interviewed about 400 farmers, and uh, it was incredible, you know, what you learn about how lucky, you know, we are here to have the technology at our disposal that we do. But also those farmers, just like our farmers here, they care about doing a good job, producing as much as they can and the long-term impacts of their livelihood. It's just getting the technology in their hands. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the, everybody has a phone. They don't have running water or electricity, but but they've got a phone. And I think that's a, a huge access point for Monsanto and, and for other people to help them with agricultural technology, obviously, assuming it fits and can help them and work in their economic model. Now, on your team, how big is your team? I have uh, eight uh, members that lead each of of the different platforms and then lead uh, a crop. Okay. For you personally, then, of of the initiatives we've discussed here today and and that came out this morning, what are you most excited about? Yes, we think about our area, you know, the specific areas, um, you know, that that I'm involved with. Obviously, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is we talked about the pipeline advancements, um, but equally important to that is, you know, we're going to launch 14 new products this year, Hmm. which is quite exciting. And one of those products is uh, one that directly impacts cotton, which will be the launch of Bolgard 3. And so if you think about, we just came off the 20th year of biotechnology, and the first biotech trait that was launched was Bolgard Cotton. Uh, along with Roundup Ready Soybean. And so in 20 years' time, we went from Bolgard 1 cotton to this year we'll launch uh, Bolgard 3 cotton. And so I think certainly it's a commitment to continue to bring new technology uh, to the marketplace. Uh, But what's allowed us to do that is certainly our farmers have found the value in the technology uh, and they continue um, to purchase the technology, which continues to allow us to invest in it. So our team's quite excited about the opportunity uh, to launch that technology. We launched it in uh, Australia. Uh, they just came off their planting season in Australia, being in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, we'll plant it this spring here uh, in the U.S. Great. Well, we we do have a fair amount of uh, listeners in Australia, believe it or not. And definitely uh, Texas is one of our largest uh, contingencies. Me being in Texas, I think probably has something to do with it. But uh, but I'm sure, sure there's plenty of Texans out there excited about that as well. You may not know the answer to this, but I'm curious. Uh, it, this, the product development cycle now, you said, was about 12 years. What was it to get that Bogard one out the door uh, You know, 20 years ago? Was the cycle 12 years at that point, or was it much longer? No. So the, the cycle um, has generally remained uh, relatively similar. Uh, the, you know, the challenge with uh, a biotechnology trait is not the invention or the development of it, 
the, the length of time of a biotech trade is oftentimes getting your regulatory approvals. And certainly we know that that hasn't gotten any easier, um, you know, depending on the technology or depending on the world area. And so our commitment is, is we're, you know, we're going to get, you know, certainly the approvals in country that we need to, but then also it's getting all of the approvals around the world. And there's roughly about, depending on the crop, about 40 uh, regulatory agencies that we need to get approvals from. Uh, some of them, for example, in cotton, it's about half that uh, that we need to get approvals from. And so that's the, the big piece that, you know, takes the time to get those approvals around the world. And so the timelines generally remain similar uh, for at least the biotechnology trait. It's those coffee and cocoa guys that have it well. They only got you know a handful of countries to deal with grow coffee and cocoa. <laughs> That's really fascinating. And I don't know how involved you are in this part of the process, but is it sort of a domino effect where, okay, we need to focus on the U.S. adopting this, and then once they do, you know, others will drop, jump on board? I'm sure there's some strategy there. Yeah, we, um, you know, ob- obviously we're focused in the areas where first um, there's a presence, large presence of the crop being planted. Um you know, a need for the technology, and then obviously, of course, acceptance of the technology. You know, our key areas uh, for cotton today are uh, the U.S., Australia, uh, Brazil, and then if you think about uh, corn and soybeans, uh, the two key areas would be North America, South America, uh, if we think about specifically biotech traits, and then a handful of uh, Asian uh, countries as well, but really the focus would be America's and then in addition to that, um, Australia for cotton. Well, this is all really fascinating. I certainly appreciate you taking some time, and I, I think uh, everybody's going to get a kick out of these these types of issues to really be thinking about, You know, especially when it comes to biologics and, and, and data science and the fact that it takes 12 years to, to introduce something new onto the market just baffles me. I don't, I can't wrap my head around, you know, 12 weeks from now, nonetheless, 12 years. I think that's really interesting. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to discuss yet before I let you go? I know you've got a busy day today, but anything that we didn't get a chance to discuss today that you'd like to share? I think the one thing that, you know, I would just uh, close with is I think back, you know, 14 years ago, it was our industry was kind of in a similar um, kind of state of a state of mind and how I say that is you know when I was coming out of graduate school it was a time when there was lots of consolidation similar to what there is today and it was at that time really around the chemistry uh, industry or the crop protection industry and so certainly I think graduate students can obviously see that there's lots of consolidation going on Uh, and what that could mean is it, it could mean that it's a scary time or it's really a time for opportunity and, you know, as I reflect on my last 14 years, I can tell you that, uh, you know, I had got to do things that I never dreamt I would be able to do uh, coming out of graduate school. And so I think I would encourage graduate students to really see the opportunities they have to have before them. I've had roles I didn't know existed. I've got to obviously lead both a U.S. and a, and a cotton uh, strategy, which, you know, being a farm girl from Minnesota, you know, didn't seem like that was probably going to be possible. <laughs> uh, and I've got to see and, and visit with farmers literally everywhere all over the world. And so I think, um, you know, I would encourage graduate students not to see this as a, a scary time in our industry, but really a time for opportunity. Um, because I think that, you know, the last, it was a very similar time frame when I, when I came in. And it's been an amazing 14 years. And so I, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the next 14 years as well. 
It's a great closing message. Thank you so much, Dr. Shannon Hauf of Monsanto. I really appreciate this and uh, can't wait to share this with everybody. You're welcome. Big thank you to Monsanto and Dr. Hauf for letting me be part of the media coverage of these initiatives. Certainly gets me excited about some of the interesting work that's going on for the future of our industry. Hey, if you're listening and you are an agricultural entrepreneur, a freelancer, or consider yourself just someone who cares deeply about the future of agriculture, I went ahead and created a Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast. You can find it. It's the Future of Agriculture group within uh, Facebook. You, you'll, you can find it there. So go ahead and join us. I'd like to continue the conversation from this podcast on that Facebook group. We had been using the AgGrad Social Facebook group. Uh, what we found is uh, just kind of a difference in message between uh, people who are there for jobs and people there just to talk about the future of our industry. So we'd love to have a good core group of uh, agricultural freelancers, agricultural entrepreneurs, ag thought leaders, just to discuss some of the issues that we discuss on this podcast in more detail and and more of a place where you don't have to listen to me all the time. You can listen to each other. So encourage you to find that on Facebook and stay tuned for next week. Got another exciting episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast with a YouTuber that you'll want to check out. So between now and then, go watch all of his YouTube videos. His name is Matthew Sliger, and his YouTube is Rice Farming TV. I'll leave you with that teaser. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com, that's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>